The men and women leading the 21 sports at Campbell University have helped build and guide the Fighting Camels to one of their best years ever. They are talented and hardworking, and most importantly, great people. The kind of people you'd love to just sit down and have a cup of coffee with. Unfortunately, in this 10-second soundbite world we live in, we mainly only get coaches talking about how they won, why they lost, and what's next. This podcast tries to remedy that with two cups of coffee and a recorder. I'm Chris Amire, and this is Coffee with Coaches. Last season was Ronnie Fisher's first in Bowie's Creek, and it was a great one. With a team pick to finish eighth in the Big South Conference, the women's basketball team finished first first in the nation in scoring defense, allowing only 49.6 points per game. The team racked up 21 wins and the first postseason appearance since 2000. It was not beginner's luck. Fisher helped lead Presbyterian College from Division II to Division I while still winning games. His drive, determination, and competitiveness started in the mountains of North Carolina years ago. Here's his story. Coach, we'll start off with the fact that I was a little surprised a guy with such high energy uh, on the court in games and practice. Uh, you're not a coffee guy, are you? I don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. My parents both drank it my whole life and uh, never ever tried it. And I'm afraid to because it costs too much. So I'm not going to start. <laughs> Coach, let's go all the way back. Uh, speaking of your family and, and coming up, uh, how did you get hooked on sports way back when, when you were a kid? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I grew up in a, a very supportive and loving family. Uh, my brother and I, and my mom and dad, and uh, my dad, he started me at a young age. I played basketball and baseball, and that was my life. In the winter, we played basketball every night. We were in the gym every night, and in the summer, we were on the field every night. And uh, I absolutely loved it, and, and uh, my dad instilled in me a, a really strong desire to win, and uh, that's where it started. Where did that come from, from your dad? Was he an athlete? He was. He was an athlete growing up. And, uh, you know, my brother and I, it's neat. I've got a brother who's four years older than me, and he was very, very competitive. And uh, when you when you grow up in a family like that, you kind of have no – it's all you, it's what you do. And so just competing and playing, that was what we did and, and really enjoyed it. Tell me about the town you grew up in. Well, I don't know if it's a town at that time. Uh, <laughs> It was a very rural community uh, called Fairview. It was about 20 minutes outside of Asheville, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, the people there were, were awesome, um, very country, out, you know, very rural, uh, but just, just good, solid people. I think that's what really drew me to Campbell as well. Um, I've always been, it's been more about people than things for me, and uh, so very blessed to grow up in that community. Of course, uh, growing up outside of Asheville, I think people that only know the Asheville of the last 10 or 15 years would be surprised to realize it was just a little old mountain town, wasn't it? Yeah, you couldn't imagine how different it was. Uh, when I was growing up and even in high school, there, there really was not a downtown in Asheville to speak of. Uh, there, it was not a tourist town, and uh, it's changed drastically, and for some good and some the bad, uh, but... It's a great, great town to live in. My, my dad and my brother still live there now. I know your coaching career kind of starts when you go to Furman as uh, you are uh, plugged in with the basketball team. Tell me kind of about your college experience. Yeah, I was really blessed. My dad, he sacrificed so I could go to Furman. Uh, and it was a very prestigious school and expensive. And uh, he and my mother really sacrificed so I could get there. 
and I uh, really appreciate that. But I, I had an opportunity to work with uh, Coach Butch Estes, who was a tremendous coach. He's now the head coach at Barry University, and, and they're one of the top Division II schools in the country. But he gave me the opportunity to coach and to be around him, and Greg Nybert was on uh, as an assistant on that staff. And learning from the two of them was really awesome. And I took a GA job there uh, the summer I graduated, and Coach Nybert had taken the head job at Presbyterian College, and I was only at Furman a couple months as a GA when he offered me a job at PC, so I went there to be an assistant with him. Uh, you go to PC, uh, of course, and they turn into a successful Division II program, making it to the NCAA tournament. I guess before the changeover to Division One, tell me about uh, what, what you guys built there. Well, it was great uh, working with Coach Nybert. Uh, he was an amazing coach, and he taught me so much. Besides my dad, he's probably taught me more than anyone just what hard work means and uh, how to prepare. And uh, it was really neat. We were Division Two. There wasn't a big staff, and, and I had the opportunity to be an assistant and really do everything uh, from scouting to recruiting to driving a van, you name it, I did it, and I really appreciate those roots because I think that it's who I am today, a blue-collar person, and uh, and so I love that upbringing. We had some great teams, and Coach Nybert was a tremendous coach to work for and learn under. The transition there from Division Two to Division One. what went into that decision at PC, and um, it's not an easy thing to do. Well, I think, I think the biggest thing was, you know, when we were a member of the SAC in Division Two, the South Atlantic Conference, you know, at that one time you had Elon and Gardner-Webb and all these schools that had gone Division One, and we knew we could compete with them. And so it seemed natural to align yourself with schools that you felt like you were on the same level with. And then Division Two at that time uh, – I remember we went to the Sweet 16 and we played another team and I think that team had 11 Division One transfers and uh, Division Two kind of became a transfer uh, place when, you, especially when you got into the national tournament. So um, I, I think that those things and PC is a really good school and I, I think they they are competing and, and could compete and I think that's the reason for that move. Um, of course, a decade as an assistant on the men's team, and then the opportunity comes up at PC for you to move over and be a head coach of the women's side. That's not always the route that, that people take. Talk about that decision, and, and how was that transition? Yeah, that was, uh, it's nothing I had thought about doing, never thought about being a women's coach, uh, but I loved Clinton, I loved PC, and when that opportunity came open I wanted to be a head coach and uh, I had a daughter too that that kind of changed your outlook on life a little bit and uh, and I, I really liked the opportunity to work there as a head coach at Presbyterian and also get a chance to build our program from scratch and we not only was I taking a women's program but we were also transitioning to division one and it felt like a really good timing for me uh, to be able to build my own program and uh, love my years there you said the uh, having a daughter kind of changed your perspective and outlook in, in what way? Well, I grew up, it was me and my brother, and so uh, I never had a sister, and then our first child was a son. But then when you have a daughter, and, uh, you know, just she, she played sports and she played basketball, 
and getting to be around her and watching her interact with her teammates and just seeing how hard she works. Uh, I really didn't think it was a huge transition as far as uh, it's still coaching basketball, and there are a lot of positives uh, that go along with it. But uh, if I could coach kids like my daughter, that would be be neat. What were the biggest differences, I guess, coaching-wise that you found out when you went from the men's team to the women's team? Well, I think uh, I think the one thing on the men's side that's, that's gotten worse in the past couple decades is the ego side of it, and I think it stems from AAU. Uh, but coaching guys, they, they have such egos sometimes, uh, it's just really tough. And and we're in a society where it's all about me, 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 and you're trying to teach a concept to teams. Sometimes with guys, it's a little more difficult than within, within women. And uh, that's one thing that's different. Um, on the negative side, I think guys are a lot more confident on the most part than women when it comes to, uh, to basketball and athletics. And not always, but a lot of times. And sometimes the confidence of our team can quickly go the wrong way. Well, on the men's team, it wasn't quite that way. You were so successful at PC, and as you said, in a quick amount of time, you built this Division One program that was winning. How did you do that when you when you look back? Well, I think I think it all starts. It goes back to I've talked about my roots and about people would being the most important thing. Is is I was fortunate to hire assistants that were awesome and uh, who were good, solid people. And that attracted good, solid people into our program. And uh, we, we, we signed blue-collar, hard-working kids that wanted to get better. And uh, we knew it was going to take some time, uh, but we stuck with it and watched them develop, and we had a good individual improvement program. And I, re- I really think that we just put the work in to be successful. And also, the type of kids we had weren't about themselves. They were about the team. And... My philosophy is I want this team that's something bigger than you. And when you buy into that, it's amazing how hard you'll work for your teammates and for your coaches, and and that's what those kids did. That can't be an easy thing to mine out of someone's personality when you're spending a couple of recruiting visits with a a high schooler that that you want to recruit. What, What do you look for? How do you determine that? Well, you know, it's not easy, and, and uh, you, you have to find talented kids, but you can, watch, you can watch a player interact with their teammates. You can watch them interact off the court, even with their parents, and you can tell the respect level they have, and uh, I, I think we pride ourselves in really getting to know our recruits, and our assistants do a great job of spending a lot of time with them, and, uh, but there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, and, you, you know, I think about it as I'm adopting a, a kid into our family. And when you're adopting somebody to become your child, you're going to take as much time as you can to check them out. And that's what we try to do in recruiting. And, and for the most part, we've done a really good job of that. You built the program at PC, and then the opportunity uh, came up at Campbell. Go back to what was attractive about this job and, and really what went into what I know was a very difficult decision for you. Yeah, it was really tough uh, because I'd raised my family in Clinton and we'd been successful there and there were a lot of positives there and a lot of reasons to stay. Um, but the, the, the one thing that really struck me with Campbell was the direction of our leadership here 
and in our our view and our uh, vision of our administration and uh, had a an awesome sit down lunch with Dr. Creed on my interview. It was a little scary at first, but I left that interview and left that lunch thinking this is a person I would love to work for. And then Coach Roller, uh, if you around him long, you realize he has energy and he brings energy to his athletic department and he wants to be successful. And uh, the division of those two people were the probably the main part in, in me coming here. And then the second part, like I mentioned earlier, this my family is everything for me. And coming to a school that has and a, and a community of just tremendous people that you're comfortable with goes so far. And uh, so th- those were the main reasons I made that move, but it was very difficult. When you get here, um, I remember we had a conversation before last basketball season, and you know you knew you had some some very good players that were going to work very hard, but it can't be easy, especially asking them to do what you asked them to do on the defensive end to people that you don't know. Go back then. How did you build that trust? How did you build up your team? Well, I tell you, the first thing was I credit those players is uh, they were hungry when I got here to get better, and and. Um, and uh, we laid out exactly what we expected, our expectations, and uh, we just didn't settle for anything less. And they, they had a desire to give it. And, um, I, you know, I asked a lot of them, and we worked extremely hard last spring into the summer on into the fall. And uh, we, we had good leaders, too. Uh, Brianna Cribb and Summer and Michaela and Brie Emanuel, they, they came every day to really work. And when you have good leaders that... Uh, they're setting a standard for others to follow, they do. And, uh, you know, they didn't, from day one, they were ready to go, and and they did everything I asked and just really proud of them. 20-plus wins last year. Um, Did it even exceed your expectations um, for coming in your first year in the program and having such success? You know, I I know this sounds uh, trite or whatever, but... I've done this a long time, and I've had years where I thought we were going to be very good, and we weren't. And I've had years where I thought we were going to be awful, and we were pretty good. And I've learned to to really not not have many expectations, but to try to stay in the moment and work every day to get better. And uh, and I think we did that last year. I didn't know how good we could be. I wouldn't say it surprised me because I saw how hard we were working, and I saw how our players were developing. Um, at the same time, I, I don't think anyone else had very high expectations for our program. So when you're surrounded by people and you're picked kind of toward the, the bottom of the league, I guess it does uh, mess with your mentality a little bit. But I tried not to let it. You know, we went, came every day to work and, and work like we were working for a championship that day. And uh, so I, I wouldn't say it surprised me a lot. Uh, at the same time, it was it was an awesome way for for those uh, seniors, especially, to have their to go out. Um, on the defensive end, you guys ended up number one in the nation in all of Division One um, in your scoring defense. What does it take to teach defense? If a young coach came into you and say, "Hey, I want my team to be number one in the nation in defense," what does that take? Well. Um, there has to be a commitment level and a, 
uh, just a, a work ethic level from your players, and, and they have to buy in that this is going to be our identity. And our, our team last year bought into that, and uh, we had some very good individual defensive players, but it playing defense is such a team thing. And you can have four people doing it great, and one person makes a mistake and another team scores. So I, I think the first thing it took was a lot of reps, and uh, we were probably totally different than most teams. We probably spent 70% of our practice on defense. And, uh, and we also worked really, really hard to be a good team and communicate with each other. And, uh, it, you know, we just put the work in. We're, we're fortunate to be successful with it. Coming into this season, so much is different. You're comfortable. You kind of know what you have. Your own recruits are, are coming in as well. How was this summer, this early fall going into the season, different than the last? Well, the honeymoon period had, had, <laughs> is not there anymore, you know. And um, uh, I, I like this team because we have some experienced players from last year, but we also have five freshmen that are all playing and all contributing. So it was a totally different dynamic. Uh, at the same time, it was refreshing. And uh, it, it, you know, the newness had worn off a little bit, but we still had the same expectations and the same demands on a daily level. So I, I, think, I think it's different in that some of our upperclassmen kind of know some of the things we're doing, but it's very similar that we're expecting the same things out of them on the court. And uh, we're getting good leadership right now, and our young kids are getting better daily. And I like, I like the trajectory we're on if, if our freshmen can continue to improve. Coach, if uh, you are giving advice to people just starting out, out of college, starting to be a basketball coach for women at, at any level, what are some of the things you say are, are most important as you're starting your coaching career? Well, I think the, the hardest thing uh, is to understand why you're doing it. And um, it's easy when you're young that you, you want to win championships and it's all about winning and, and you want to make a mark for yourself. And um, as you get older, you realize that, you know, it's about competing, but it's about, um, it's about helping your young women become better people. And, and when they graduate, that they can take some of the things they learn in your program and they can be successful after basketball. And, and when you keep that mindset, it, there's nothing wrong with being competitive and wanting to win, because I, I love winning, I hate losing, but there's also a bigger picture there. And just to have the blessing to be able to work with uh, young people on a daily basis and have an impact in their lives after basketball, that's the big thing. And as long as I think you keep your priorities right in that, uh, it'll help you uh, as you see the big picture. Uh, and, and as I've gotten a little older as a coach, I see it a lot better than I did young, when I was young. And I would probably that probably be my biggest advice for anyone getting into the business. I know you have no free time, especially during the season, and it seems like there is no off-season anymore. When you do get some free moments, what do you like to do? How do you relax? How do you unwind? Well, uh we, we've been blessed. My wife and I have been blessed with three wonderful children. And, uh, you know, when I'm away from here, I like spending time with my family first. And when you have an eight-year-old, uh, there's not a lot of downtime, <laughs> which is awesome. But uh, Jake is eight, and Sydney will turn um, 18 next week or two weeks. And my oldest son is 20. 
and just trying to find as much time as I can to spend with them. When you have two teenagers and an eight-year-old, it's hectic at home. Uh, but love my family, love spending time with them. Uh, we do love the outdoors. Uh, we go camping a little bit and hiking, and I play a little golf with my oldest son and uh, just trying to spend as much time with the family as I can. How good is your golf game these days? It's getting worse and worse. I used to beat my son regularly, and now I can't beat him at all. So uh, it's tough. It's tough. But uh, just being able to go out and play nine holes with him or, or play 18 holes is, is an awesome treat, and I cherish those moments. And uh, Sydney, my daughter, she's amazing, and she, she's getting ready to go to college next year as well. And it's amazing how fast time flies with those two. And then Jake, you know, every day I come home, he's ready to shoot me with a Nerf gun or uh, play Legos or whatever and just enjoying our time with them. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Chris.